right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome to the Just Basketball Show, a responding to breaking news edition of the show. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan Clean. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Rate and review us as well. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and all these other places. Breaking news. Wish we had a, a sound. Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks. After he requested a trade, after Chris Haynes reported he wasn't going to play through the deadline, Kyrie Irving to Dallas for a 2029 first. Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie, two seconds in there as well. Kyrie gets what he wants. He gets the trade. Dallas goes in, getting a second start, a pair with Luka Doncic, trading away one of its key wings in the process, trading away one of its future firsts in the process. TBD on when he'll debut. What this means for the contract situation with Kyrie? Does he get what he wants in that sense from Mark Cuban and, and Nico Harrison, who is with him at Nike? But Brendan, Kyrie Irving is now a Dallas Maverick. What is your initial reaction to to this news? My initial reaction is they have to be pretty sure that Luka Doncic likes this. I, I would imagine he must. He must. I, you're hearing a lot, seeing a lot on Twitter about this deal related to Nico Harrison and the relationship that Mavs general manager Nico Harrison has to Kyrie and their time working together at Nike. And, you know, maybe there is an element of that. And this is kind of the thing you bring in a Nike executive to to be able to pull off if you're going to make him your GM. But the Lucas side of this is, I think, what's the most interesting to me. I'm not positive it's an amazing fit, but I think for the relatively small package compared to what it takes to get most superstar players that this took. I think it's a reasonable swing and it makes Dallas a lot better this season at the very least. Kyrie and Luca is so much on ball sauce that I don't get like how this looks on offense is going to be incredible. Luka Doncic, obviously one of the most, heliocentric players in the league, probably the most heliocentric player in a post-Houston James Harden world, gets Kyrie, who like thrives with the ball in his hands, will do some other stuff, can spot up off ball, can be a, a really guy, a guy that can score in other ways, but is kind of most known for the what he does with the ball in his hands. And now you have Luka and him on the floor together, kind of just generating a ton of offense. Like, And, and what does this mean for Dallas? Like, How seriously do, do we take them? It's kind of where we go. I think Kyrie is going to... like. That team should be really good offensively. Their defense has not been as good this year. Kyrie obviously is not going to help that. Luca, <laughs> Chris, Luca, Christian Wood, and Kyrie as like a three-man trio is probably going to be awesome offensively with a very little defensive resistance. Finney Smith was like a really solid, competent wing shooter for them and a defender. I get the gamble if you're Dallas. Ultimately, like there's a lot about Kyrie that makes me trep- trepidatious about him and feel insecure about him. And what he is at this point, I do think like his apex as a player to date was 2016 and everything else that came since has been not nearly as as good as he was then and, and maybe not always worth the headaches that he's providing you. It's why like teams aren't going to give him a four-year deal. And and that's maybe the biggest hanging thread over this, Brendan, is like what kind of contract is Kyrie going to get from Dallas if he's going to stay there or whatever? What what does that look like? But like this yeah, is a bet on star this is a bet on star talent above anything else. And I can understand that part of it at the very least. You're seeing from Woj already that Dallas is not 
seem to be treating this as a lock that this is us trading for, you know, Kyrie plus an extension, which is interesting to me because as much as I think from a Dallas standpoint, it was a predictable move because they had the types of role players, veteran role players that I think we knew Brooklyn would be attracted to considering they still have Kevin Durant on their team and they're up in the standings where they probably want to not have this season go to waste. It's a little bit surprising to me that the, that the Mavs aren't treating it that way though, from the standpoint that 2029 first round pick unprotected. I mean, we've been talking about that from the Lakers standpoint. It's a little more risky from the Lakers standpoint because of the way their stars are from a, you know, Anthony Davis injury, LeBron age point of view, Luca's a little more steady, but that is a valuable pick and uh-huh. Dorian Finney Smith. And so when I see that they're not treating it as a long-term commitment, that sort of makes sense in the desperation that we maybe knew Dallas was going to have. Okay. It all lines up. But then when I look at what it costs to get him, that is where I start to fall off with my following of this decision a little bit. Those are two really valuable assets, Finney Smith and that pick and Dinwiddie's probably a little redundant now that Kyrie's in place, just like he was once upon a time in Brooklyn. My question, and this is not trolling, Chris. Yeah. Did Sean Marks in 2023, just get a better deal for Kyrie than the Cavs did in 2017? Oh boy. Um, I mean, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder and, and a Brooklyn unprotected pick. I think I like, that became Collins and who they did then trade for for Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, like kind of. Yeah. Um <laughs> I didn't mean to put you in there. Yeah, Can I didn't I, mean I, to do I, that. I, to I will you, say but. that 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 press conference uh that was Dante's just Jake Crowder and Isaiah Thomas and Kobe Altman in like the Cavs like media room is one of the most awkward press conferences I've ever been to in my entire life and I will never forget that until the day I die. Um, as a very awkward person myself, it just was radiating off of everything going on there. And I, th- I think about that from time to time. I mean, maybe they did, but it, it's like, this is, I would not, this also makes me wonder like, okay, what was the, like, there's clearly, I think we all have to view this through the prism of the Lakers and their interest in him as well. I think we have to kind of think about it through this because like the Clippers had interest and they law Murray from the athletic had it. They put in a strong offer, whatever that means. The Lakers obviously have interest. LeBron like said as much when he was like, duh, would this guy help our team when Dave McMenamin asked him about it the other night? I if I wonder if this is that we have to also view this through the net saying, like, we're gonna still try to compete with Kevin Durant. And that's part of this as well. And like why he ends up in Dallas. If they looked at what they're gonna get from these other teams, you know, whether it was like Kennard and and John Wall and a and a pick from the Clippers or whatever was gonna be there the Lakers which is probably Russ and a pick and you're sending back like two players out in that trade and maybe you didn't want to trade Joe Harris who you you like as a shooter and has been around that team for a long time now dating back to the, to the Kenny Atkinson era I wonder if this is also the Nets being like this is like a chance for us to keep Kevin Durant surrounded by a lot of like shooty switchy forwards it's another it's too it's a it's another ball handler to kind of not put too much pressure on Ben Simmons to have to create a bunch again now. Finney Smith can shoot it off of Ben. Like, and we have ways to go like five out or play, you know, with not have to rely on Ben for wing defense and stuff. Like, this feels almost like a, a kind of hedging to help with Kevin Durant in some way, too, for the Nets, which is like kind of a maybe a weird way to look at this considering this is about Kyrie Irving getting traded. But that that is where part of my brain goes here is wondering what this means for the Nets' plan in terms of Kevin Durant, who's 
the best player affected by any of this trade, I think, as of right now. I guess Luke is as well, but like what happens with Durant is the big domino kind of after this now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely why it didn't end up happening with the Lakers is you had their best offer, unless it was going to get really complicated for a with a three-team construction that would send Russell Westbrook to some other team and more role players to the Nets. Unless it was going that route, you're talking about Russ, who is either going to have to play with KD again, which would have been an all-time, you want to talk about awkward press conferences, that would have been up there. Or he's getting bought out, and you're just treating the real trade as getting picks. Not sure what picks do to help Kevin Durant right now. And so there didn't really seem to be a good pathway that would include the Lakers that was simple. And when you're presented, if I'm Sean Marks and I'm presented with effectively what that package would have been in the form of, of Dallas's eventual offer, which is a 2029 unprotected first round pick, one unprotected pick and multiple role players. And I don't have to deal with the third team. I don't have to deal with Russell Westbrook. Maybe even getting a player I'm familiar with in Spencer Dinwiddie helps, you know, I just think this was the cleaner solution. I don't know if it's the absolute best deal they could have struck to build a, a team around Kevin Durant, but I think it's pretty darn close. I think I like these two guys coming back to Brooklyn from Dallas better than anything the Clippers would have been able to give. Is it going to be putting Kevin Durant where he would have been if Kyrie kept playing at an all-star starter caliber pace? Oh, this affects no. the all-star team too. This is like the least important well, thing, but now like... Well, I guess he can replace Steph then, right? Who we're about to talk about. Kyrie can oh, be the other boy. Western Conference All-Star starter. Uh, but no, I think from the KD Stockton. standpoint, Chris, from the KD standpoint, this is, they probably have had conversations with Durant, right? And I think this at least says to me they're unlikely to trade him in the next five days. I don't know about anything beyond that, but you don't yeah. make a trade centered on this type of a package if you don't think you at least have KD for the rest of the year and you're trying to maximize whatever that will be for you. Let me, let's turn this back to Kyrie for a second. If you're Dallas, how do you evaluate Kyrie being a success for you in the end of the season? What would make it worth it to you to give him two years, which is like the most I, th I could see any team really giving him unless like Mark Cuban loses his mind and gives him four years, which seems insane. He is eligible for an extension. Now you could tack two years onto it. Um, at least I think until June, I think you could extend two years up to a certain number. But what if you're Dallas, how would you view Kyrie being as a success if you make this trade now and are, are trying to what, what 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 this year would make it a success for you? It's an interesting question, right? I mean, I think it has to do with Luca more than anything. I think it might be stuff that we don't necessarily get a feel for. And this is not like I think some of the Luca stuff like you pay attention to the people who really know that Dallas team. I think some of the like Luca might get mad. Talk was probably just talk. I don't, I don't think we were going to go from, you know, surprising Western Conference finals run to, you know, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting more texts no. as all of this is coming in. There's no, there's this, breaking is, this news. is like, uh, this is like, this is phone blow up season. Like my dad texted me like a confused emoji. Like I have a group covering text the that suns at this some... point in time too is, is just, it's well, just yeah. a nightmare. I've been I've been but, texting some Cavs I've been texting some Cavs people about this about Kyrie last couple of days and some of the responses have like made me giggle and I'm curious to talk to them about this trade but like Brandon the, the, the Mavs the, right the, now the are, are thing, nine and the, a half the, well there's the, they're nine and a half Mavs are nine yes, and a half out of first yes, right now yes. they're firmly like not in the race for the one seed 
but they are only two, but they're, they are a game back of the fourth seeded Clippers, two and a half back of the third seeded Kings. They well, like, what I was going to say is, yeah, the, the Luca part of this is what's most important to me because last year they made the conference finals, right? So it's like, well, are you saying you need to go further than that? I hear you. They were in a little bit of a worse place this year. They were, you know, they won 50 games last season. So I get feeling like you needed to do something. But if if the goal is like we need to get further than we did last year, you're not going to measure it that way. I don't think if you're Mark Cuban, you're going to measure it as does he fit with Luca? Does Luca like how this feels? Does Kyrie work in this locker room? Is he available? Can we get through to him in a way that others have not been able to? I think that's it's all going to be that that stuff that no one else has been able to do with Kyrie since, like you said, you know, 2016, the LeBron era, basically, I, that's going to have to be the measuring stick because success on the court, the, the Mavs are already a little bit ahead of schedule the past uh, off season or past postseason. Uh, we now have Chris Haynes tweeting the Phoenix. Suns this is what prepared. I got. This is the text I got. <laughs> Chris Haynes from TNT and Bleacher Report, I believe uh, host of the new podcast on Mark Stein. Uh, Prepare to pursue Brooklyn Nets star Kevin Durant shoot to become available. League sources tell at NBA and TT Athletes Report. So, like, here we go. Here, here we, we go. go. But does that sound right to you on the on the Mavs side of this that would make the deal like a success? I think it is Luca. It is Luca related. It is Luca. Like, what does he feel about this? How does he feel like he meshes with Kyrie? It's notable. Mark Stein has reported now that they talked to Luca about this trade. Jason Kidd wanted this trade. Um, and wanted them to go do this. So there is like buy-in, it seems like, or at least some communication within this organization about wanting this. I think if this this feels like an ultimate vibe thing um, and what Kyrie is going to provide, how he fits with Luka. Like, you know, Kevin Durant, I think, is a is a, it, one of the beauties of his game that we don't maybe appreciate enough is like how good he is at adapting to other superstars. He is like the... the if you're going to play with another super... It's like him and Steph are the two guys that if I was going to be a superstar and say, who's the guy that I could play with that's going to like allow me to be me as much as possible? It is Steph, and it, is, and it is Durant. Think about how Durant played in Golden State. Think about how Durant played with Westbrook way back in Golden State. Think about how he played playing with Kyrie and Harden, and what he sacrifices, and is still just a, the, the best player on those teams, right? That's not really like what Luka does. I can't see Luka like acquiescing in, the, in that same way. Does, what, is, what does that mean for Kyrie? How does that look? How long does it take to figure out the... And like, what does that mean for just all of this? And, it, and it, it's just like one of these really funny situations where it's like, I wonder if that... Like, there's this... Like, this is such an interesting alternate world where like Dallas could have just gave, given Jalen Brunson four years, 55 million or whatever. And they keep this pick and they keep do DFS and Dinwiddie. And like, maybe they're better off, but you end up in a situation where you lose Brunson last summer you're looking for a superstar or a co-star at the very least to pair with Luca and you end up here and you're you're the team taking the risk on Kyrie who has not had a normal season of basketball in like a dec in like half a decade at this point very it's just like this this is what happens when you when certain decisions don't go the right way and with Kyrie it's just like th- this is the ultimate gamble of super someone was going to do this that he's too talented for someone not to do this i thought it was going to be the lakers you you correctly called when we recorded a segment that will never see the light of light of day you called Dallas. I get how we get here. It's it's a very tricky thing, and like it's another it's another chapter in the Kyrie saga. And I cannot wait to see what Luke has to say about this. Can't wait to see what Kevin Durant has to say about this. 
the first LeBron comments when the Lakers play next are going to be incredible. Can't wait for that. Like, there's just so much that is yet to unfold here, and this feels this feels very weird. Durant thoughts to close since we do seem to be there's vultures circling the corpse of the Brooklyn Nets as they appear to see it as a corpse. I'm not so sure. So th- th- uh, look, here's the thing. Whether it's net th- at this deadline or in the summer, if Kevin Durant says I want out and he makes it like a little messier than he did last summer when he wanted out and didn't really make it as messy as he probably could have. There are a lot of good players on the Nets roster that teams should be looking to try and like say DFS now is in that list. Joe Harris. Um, yeah. I would put Royce O'Neal on that list. Like there, like there are good players on that roster that are, that you should go out and be trying to nab if you're some other teams. If the Nets do decide to pivot at any point, Durant is the big one. But there's a lot of really good role players on that team that would be upgrades for other teams right now if they could go get. I just don't think you make this trade if, unless you think those pieces of Dinwiddie and Finney Smith are coming over to help Kevin Durant. I just yeah, can't I, see why I, they I wouldn't agree. take the Lakers trade if they thought Durant was a flight risk right now. Now, clearly Sean Marks and Kevin Durant don't see eye to eye. He asked for the dude to be fired, right? So it's not like I'm, I'm coming at this from a perspective that those guys are close and they make every decision in lockstep with one another. But I just can't see them pulling the trigger this fast, not even really letting a big bidding war unfold and taking that package of Dinwiddie and Finney Smith if the next, you know, 12 hours result in Kevin Durant asking out what good is Dorian Finney Smith on a, on a bad team. Right. So yeah, I, I just think I'm going to discount the Kevin Durant stuff for now and we'll have to see where it goes. But if you're talking about a deal setting aside the lunacy of Kyrie's last 24 months that touches the most big deal people in the league, like not even players, but just like the most important human beings in the NBA Talking about a deal that affects Luka, Kevin Durant, and LeBron James is about as big as it gets, and we don't know how any of those three people are going to see this uh, in the next, the rest of this season and beyond. But I agree with you. I don't feel like Kevin Durant is anywhere near a lock to start next season with the Nets. I don't want to make it seem like I'm comfortable with them long-term, but doing it in the next four days, I think KD would have to make it really ugly really fast for them. Buckle up. Let's see if anything else happens the next couple of days. Uh, I'm sure this is a story we'll talk about more and more as it comes. This is, again, very fresh, but uh, Kyrie Irving is now a Dallas Maverick, his fourth NBA team. The Nets, Kyrie, James Harden era is officially done. It is now just the KD era. A lot to be said about how Brooklyn constructed and, and, and how that all kind of happened. I think that's maybe an episode in the summer for us to do, Brendan, to come back and unpack this whole entire era and and how you kind of build some of these things out. And I do, I, Brendan, the last thing I will say, in this, we're in the, the player empowerment era. I do wonder if stuff like this kind of makes teams a little more hesitant to just give play, like certain players, whatever they want, and give up team control in some way. Because like the Nets like kind of just handed things over to Kyrie and Kevin. More so Kevin than Kyrie. Not, not let, I think it'll it'll be a cautionary tale for the package deal era, maybe. Yeah. Where, you know, you're seeing Shy Gilgis Alexander blossom in Oklahoma City. That's another one with the Clippers, right? Where you have to get Paul George. I'm Kawhi Leonard. You have to get Paul George, or I'm not coming, or I'm gonna go to the Lakers or whatever can, I'm can gonna I, do. Can I, and then can that I deal one, blows up a little bit. I have one one last thing. 
are the Nets better? I think Dallas is like more interesting in some ways, but are the Nets better in some ways? I'm not sure. No, I don't think the Nets are better because I just think at the end of the day, you, as great as Kevin Durant is, as great as he was this season, and he made the joke about how he was keeping them afloat when it was Edmund Sumner and whoever else, you just need more firepower than they have, I think, to to win multiple playoff series in that conference, which is pretty stacked at the top. I think both teams might be the same or worse. I'm not, I'm not even going to say Dallas. Um, I'm not going to stand here and tell you, I think they're, they're going to be higher in the standings because of this. Maybe their championship upside, just for the same reason I said about Brooklyn is higher because you have Kyrie on the roster, but I don't know if this is a win-win at all. I think it might be more of a lose-lose or a, a, eh, trade in terms of what actually affects who wins the title this year yeah uh, I'm curious to see if if the Nets make any of their moves to maybe go get another big and and what that could lead them to but Brennan let's let's end this that part of this discussion there we have to some other NBA news to hit from the weekend in the league first thing Stephen Curry is going to miss multiple weeks with a left leg injury James Girani had this this morning he went knee to knee um, with Walker McKinley from the Dallas Mavericks on Saturday night in a game Luka Doncic by the way did not play in uh, the team has now said that he suffered partial tears to his superior tibial, tibiofibular ligaments and interosseous membrane. If I said those things wrong, I'm not a doctor. I apologize. And had suffered a contusion to his left lower leg. Brendan, what does this mean for the Golden State Warriors? Well, now that we are doing this segment once again, thanks to Kyrie Irving and uh, Nico Harrison, we have a little more information and my take is a little more extreme when you're talking about partial tears. I, when it was just, you know, soreness or like that really hurt to bump my knee against that other guy. I I think I was a little more bullish that they could just stay alive. They were decent without him in the 11 games he missed. I think they were six and five in the end of 2022. But if you're talking about, you know, more than a month, two months. I mean, that's the end of the season. Um, you know, you're, you're, it's at least a possibility now. I think that he misses most of the rest of the season, if not the rest of the season, when I hear that. And as much as I don't feel like there's any team pushing them from the back, except for the Lakers right now, that I still think the one through 10, one through 11 in the West is going to be basically the same just cause there's not enough upward momentum from some of these OKCs or anyone else. I, I just, I'm not sure if I'm picking the Warriors out of any of that. If I'm getting a severely hurt and recovering Steph Curry, which was what we had last year, at the end of the season. Yeah. And he came out of it, but this just feels a little worse to me when I hear tear and multiple different components of one injury that doesn't feel like, Oh, he'll be back by March 1st. Yeah, I, I think this this kind of takes away any upside they had of maybe like pushing out of the playing tournament. This is going to put like unless they go on a really kind of unprobable run without him and, and however long he misses, you know, I think that it, it kind of makes their path. It's just going to make their path to repeating much harder. Like they could get Denver in round one. You know, they could get Memphis in round one. Like I think they could beat out of those teams fully healthy, but it's like like that's a lot harder of a path to have to deal with them in round one instead of round two or, or round three in the in the conference finals, right? Like it just makes it a little bit harder. 
And you just got to hope Steph is actually fully healthy when he comes back. You know, like that, that is the other part of this. Like what is Steph whose game is so reliant on his movement, his ability to get around his ability to cause chaos off ball. You know, if he, if this takes him a while to heal and it takes him a while to ramp back up, this puts a big dent into kind of what he could be. Um, I don't, you know, I wonder what this means for them at the deadline as well. They've not historically been buyers, but does this, try to get a win now piece for one of their young guys now in some way, because this could be like the last ride with what's going on with Draymond and everything. Uh, and dating back to obviously the, the preseason and, and the puncher around the world. This just complicates an already very complicated warrior season. And you, you want Steph to be healthy because he's one of the best players in the league. He's one of the most fun players to watch on a night to basis. He did actually suffer this injury a day after taking a hit in the lake, Zeke Naji in a game against the Nuggets. So it's just kind of a tough weekend for Curry. You hope he's healthy, but I think this has to just kind of like their, their play positioning now feels much more likely to be a 7-8 seed and a really dangerous one. But the odds of them like making another title run out of that spot is, is it's just much lower. It's very hard. It's, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't. No, it doesn't. And they've been awful on the road. They're 7-20 and 20 on the road this season. That's That hasn't really changed whether Curry's out there or not. And... I just, I don't know what it does to the trade because I guess you're right. It could go either direction. They could see it as more likely that they just need to get some help because they've dealt with injuries. I tend to think that they're probably quieter as a result of this when you're talking about giving up James Wiseman or any of their other young pieces. If it's a season where they're not even positive, they're getting a fully healthy roster. I think that probably makes them less likely to give up a lot. I think the last point that I would make is now that we know it's fairly severe, I wouldn't be surprised. We just saw Dallas make this huge move, but I wouldn't be surprised if that gives other teams in the West just a little more encouragement to be aggressive themselves, whether that's the Suns, whether that's the Clippers, whether that is obviously the Lakers are, are anticipated to do something, but even Memphis or New Orleans or some of these, these rising teams, if you're telling me the, the defending champ is out of the way or at least less of a threat right now, I feel like that puts a little bit of wind in my sails that I can go be that team to to make a run when they're not going to be there to do that themselves this year. I, I don't know if that materializes in any big move. I'm not making that prediction, but I would imagine some general managers around the, the West are feeling more comfortable for sure right now, even though the Warriors were loitering at the bottom of the conference. Everyone knew what a threat they could be, and if they're out of the way, that changes things. 100%. A couple other quick things to hit from the weekend. Number one, uh, do Kentavious called Will Pope hurt uh, in a game for the Nuggets on, on over the weekend. We'll see what that means for him. I don't know how long he's going to be out. The Nuggets obviously kind of first in the West right now by four and a half games. I wonder if that pushes them into making a more aggressive Bones Highland Center trade to get the wing that they've kind of been looking for if KCP is going to miss some time. And Brennan, lastly, and this is actually one thing I'm glad Kyrie made us redo. Slowly but surely, the Milwaukee Bucks are back up to second in the East. They are only a game behind the Boston Celtics right now after they beat the Heat on Saturday. Right now, at the top of the East, you have Boston, Milwaukee, and the Sixers all within two games of each other in that order. The Nets are four and a half games back. Cavs are five and a half back. Heat are eight and a half back. So we have kind of a top five and then three teams right at the top. I mean, the Bucks have survived. Not a lot of Chris Middleton. You know, we'll see what kind of trades they make ahead of Thursday. But it feels like the Bucks are back. They've won nine yeah. out of their last ten, as have the Sixers, but they've won seven in a row. Bucks might be back, man. Bucks might be might might be here to make a real push for Boston in the East. 
their two games, their past two wins against the Clippers and the Heat, I watched both of. They were killer. Um, the the, the can, way that nope. the the way that Giannis attacked Bam at the end of the game is a way no one else can attack Bam. Highly highly he, impressive stuff. From I Giannis. mean, I know it's Ivica Zubats, but he did it the same. He did the same exact thing to Zubats in that comeback where he scored fifty plus. Middleton yeah. has looked great. Middleton was guarding Kyrie and and or I'm sorry, Kawhi and Paul George. He's scoring efficiently. He's attacking the basket. I I wouldn't be surprised if he's back in the starting lineup soon. Uh, we told we we said this team was right there as long as Chris came along and they made one probably one trade. So check off the Chris box, I think, and we'll yeah. see on the trade. But but this team's going to be right there. They're they're very good. East is going to be a lot of fun. East is going to be a lot a lot of fun come the playoff time. It's going to be some bonkers bonkers matchups. All we Whoever wanted to do was seat. all we wanted to do was name our top five everyone should want them all stars and the league was like not so fast yeah you don't get um, to do a, a cute little show today guys you, you'll you'll have to cram it in at the end but yeah the no, east is gonna no. be insane the west just got crazier this this uh yeah. this season is gonna be one for the ages fun time to be an nba fan all right here's the rest of the episode we recorded uh pre Kyrie Irving news break we talked about leading off talking about Brianna Stewart going to liberty and what that means in the state of title contenders in the WNBA enjoy that We'll be back on Wednesday with more. Trade Denland, we will probably do a little episode on Friday as well. Be there. Don't be square. Talk to you. This, this feels like kind of a very important summer for the WNBA. To me, Brendan, just from what players are telling us they want, what Brandon Stewart has said she wanted, you know, what that meant for Vandersloot, what Candace Parker, you know, kind of moving on from a team that once she won a title with years ago, that, that Sky team is now very much like disassembled. That Sky team that was so successful and doesn't doesn't exist anymore. Like Azura Stevens going to the Sparks as well. Like, and this isn't like you putting this out in the notes. Like this is a great point. The players didn't just like go to LA. Like they they're they're the market. I'm sure plays some part in them just because like New York is this big thing that's a homecoming for Stewie of sorts. But that's like an owner that is willing to spend. Mark Davis has I think really endeared himself to the Aces players on the other side of this with like his willingness to to put up money and to be a proactive spender. That's a really big advantage in the way this league kind of works right now. Um, the basketball side of this obviously very important. This also just feels like a very important like player and business story in a lot of ways to me. That, that I can't I can't extrapolate these two things in that sense. I think we can start there. The players, yeah, they're reinforcing the advantages of team owners who are actually invested and. There's been more of those that have bought into the the W in recent years. There's been a lot of ownership change in this league recently and a lot of way wealthier people buying into it. And I think you're seeing the advantages that that is going to provide for those organizations one off season after another, just skyrocketing. You know, the charter flight debate, which we can get into here is one part of this. But when you talk about the aces, they have a committed practice facility, right? Because they don't have an NBA team. They have a, a practice facility that is on the same general campus as where the Raiders are with, with Mark Davis being there, but it's for them. It's a basketball court. The Liberty got moved from the outskirts of outskirts, might as well be in the Atlantic Ocean of New York to Barclays Center when he bought the team right away. 
And that was after James Dolan had taken them out of Madison Square Garden for Lord knows what reason, right? And so all these things, you can talk about what Holly Rowe had on ESPN that Brianna Stewart is factoring in uh, amenities like housing and these types of things that I don't think are collectively bargained and, and restricted about what an owner can do, like charter flights are. All this stuff is going to continue to matter. And then on the other side of it, we have a, an, a, a, a commissioner of the league who I'm not exactly positive is on the side of those owners or the <laughs> no. big time players um, in the same way that we assume is almost always going to be the case for the NBA, right? We just, it's a given to us that the biggest spenders, the most powerful players are going to have the power. I'm not really, that's not the dynamic in the WNBA right now. The dynamic is big time owners and big time players pushing back against the status quo to change in the way that they think it should happen. And that's just a very bizarre thing to have happen for a league that is trying to grow, to have forces within it that are kind of restricting that is not what I would do personally. If I was trying to build a thing, I would not push back against building the thing I'm supposed to be building, but that, so here we are. That's what Kathy Engelbert is doing, and that's what a lot of the lower level, mineral, uh, smaller market owners are doing in the WNBA right now. Well, and like you see, like the expansion stuff hasn't happened as fast as I kind of would have expected, which I think is kind of interesting. No. Like, and that 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 would be capital bringing into the league. That would be yep. capital coming into the league, right? Um, in, in the charter, do you want to know how much, yeah, hit me. Do you want to know how much the expansion fee? So this week in the NWSL two expansion franchises got announced. Did you see how much the expansion fees were going to be? $50 million. Yeah. $50 million. And the league is saying, no, we want to make sure Indiana has a a stable economic structure. We want to make sure that Connecticut has a stable. Chicago has a stable economic structure. It, that, it's insanity. It'd be like, you know, pick your most chaotic or, or worst run NBA franchise. And if the league was like, no, we're not going to expand to Vegas and Seattle because we, we, we really want to make sure that that Sacramento is in a good spot. What? Yeah. Doesn't Sacramento make any sense. can suck and lose money if they want to. It, it's craziness. Well, like you could you could absolutely probably take some of that money. Maybe that covers the flights. You know, like there's just like ways yeah. you could do this. And it's like I they're almost like getting in. The, it feels like they're getting in the way of their own growth. And it's like this was the case with some of the political stuff the players did. And a lot of things, it feels like the players drive all of this in the league. They do. They just do. And like that is. I feel like th- that is very troubling when like you almost want the commissioner at this stage of the league to be more of an advocate for what this league could be and the, its potential and kind of making life as good as possible for the players. And that doesn't really happen. That is not exactly what is happening here with, with, with kind of these decisions that are being made. And that is, that is kind of, that is a bummer. It just is. And it's like, this is yeah. only going to become like a more pressing thing. Cause look at all the talent that's coming up in the next couple of years. Cameron Brink, Haley Jones, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, Haley Van Lith, like Aliyah Boston is coming in. Like you have all of these superstar, yep. you have all these great star players coming in that are, that have really big, that are very popular based on their college, based on their socials. Caitlin Clark is like one of the most like fun players to watch in basketball, regardless of gender, just like a walking highlight. You should be like 
getting the league in a place to really kind of be booming. And it's like you're holding it back almost. It, that's where it feels like they're like ready to go into drive to some degree. And maybe there's some economic factors like we don't understand that are part of this. But I, I think you got to like really kind of push a little bit. Yeah, Stewart seemed to, to get up to a point to bring it back to her where she backed off on the charter flight thing. Like she wasn't, and I'm not, this is not criticism. She wasn't ready to, it didn't feel like the time it seems like for her to hold up her entire free agency in order to make something happen here, right? The math is $25 million. Kathy Engelbert has said that on the record. Um, that's not a ton of money. The NWSL again to return there. They have an official uh, airline partner, which is Delta Airlines. They don't fly charter, but they're allowed to. It's not collectively bargained out of the, what they're allowed to do like it is in the WNBA where you had Josiah get fined quite a bit of money because he was flying his team to like Napa Valley for a team field trip last season and different couple different trips throughout the year. And $25 million is not a lot, but Stewart must have seen something that made her feel like it's not the right time right now. But this, this league is coming up on when the players can... Um, cut out of the collective bargaining agreement next year. We will have negotiations over the uh, TV deal with ESPN where that will be up, which is itself like was not, not negotiated by Engelbert, but, but completely flubbed. Um, So this isn't going anywhere. Whoever the next big free agent is, will probably pick up this fight and keep pushing. Cause it doesn't seem like the forces that be are, are necessarily on their side from a basketball standpoint, Chris, I have a question for you. Did the, yeah. did the Liberty need Courtney Vandersloot? No, but like, I think it puts Sabrina Ionescu in a very interesting position where she's going to need to play, do some off ball stuff that we've never seen her really do in the WNBA. That that's where this led me is like wondering what this means for the evolution of Sabrina. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of liked that she has the versatility to not have mm-hmm. to be on the ball. And like, even but she's been on the ball on the a ball ton since little... she came in, is the thing, is the thing. It's just like she she's has. been like on the ball a ton. But it's a little different than it is for other players, right? Because she is so big, she can yeah. shoot. Her being on the ball is not like, I don't know, Trey Young being on the ball, right? It's like a well, little Trey bit Young's of a different tra- type of Trey thing. Trey Young's not shooting well. Maybe we need to aim higher than Trey Young. <laughs> it's fair. But I just wonder, I'm like, I don't know outside of having depth and star talent and being able to withstand injuries and all the things we talk about with superstars. I'm not really sure if Courtney Vandersloot, like they had a lot of depth already. I, I'm just going to be curious to see how they use her. And if we look back at the end of the season and feel like they needed her to get where they were going to go, or did she like you just, it's like the, the upper bounds of what you can even do on a basketball court. It's like, well, yeah, I guess the Warriors, when they had Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, if they also had LeBron James, that would have been pretty cool. But, like, what would have been different? They won every title every year, except for 2016. So what what difference did it make? I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious from that aspect because they had point guards. They have Ionescu. They had plenty of shooting. They had plenty of star power. Now they add this. It's like, well, I wonder what they'll do with her. I mean, it's interesting when I, I went and looked at the title odds, and it feels like there's a this is the two team race now that because all of these teams feel so overloaded with talent in some ways. Obviously, the Aces have like the four number one picks in their lineup, and then Chelsea Gray, who's incredible. The Libs have Sui and Ionescu and and Laney John and Cole John Cole Jones. Jones, and like this whole thing is just loaded. <laughs> you know, like these things are loaded. The Aces are at plus one thirty right now 
This is from FanDuel. Aces are at plus 130. Liberty is at plus 140. Mystics are third at plus 1200. Mercury at plus 2900. And the Sun are plus 3000. This is like a, this, the odds would tell you this is like a two team race. And I can't even really disagree with that. It almost feels like if we, if we don't get this, like in the finals, it'll be like kind of a disappointment at this point, which I like guess isn't really fair to these other teams. We have to see how the season goes. But this, this season feels so much about like the Aces and the Liberty now. It just kind of does to me in a lot of ways. Well, and it's the fact that, right, Jones came from Connecticut yep. to the Liberty. So she mm-hmm. took a contender away because she made them a, in large part a contender. Yep. Stewie helped make this. So it's, it's less about like heaping praise on what a great job these two incredible teams have, have done. And more so the fact that a lot of the players that left their team were kind of holding them up in a way. And now that's not there. The W had a lot of parity in recent seasons. Feels like there's a lot less of it now. And, and that consolidation came from certain places where, you know, we didn't see somebody go from the aces to the Liberty, for instance. You know what I mean? It was like, you're sucking out all the talent. So I do think those odds are basically right where I would put things. And there's still some movement to be done. You know, Skylar Diggins-Smith, we don't know where she'll end up. There's some bit moves, role players, et cetera. But um, I think this is this is trending toward uh, a pretty big, you know, Godzilla versus Kong type of bout here in the in the league. And it's going to be an awesome season. I, I hope I mean, every regular season matchup is going to be must see TV. And I think we're probably headed towards seeing them in the finals. Uh, can't wait to see them in August. Big win for me personally. And then Brent, Brennan, do you have a do you, would you if you had to pick one right now, who would you pick? I think that I like what the I think that I like what the Liberty have the most mm-hmm. um, because I think their team I could see the I could see it getting replicated. Well, we haven't seen it yet, but I could see what the pieces on this team do sustaining for a season another season a little bit more than the Aces. And what I mean by that is. The Aces had some hot shooting seasons from players that you never know if it'll continue. Jackie Young shot like 50% from deep. You know, they are losing Hamby, who I know is not, you know, some sort of superstar player, but you always have to wonder with the age of Candace Parker if she'll actually be that upgrade, just if you're talking about figuring out what the season's layout will be. And I just tend to love teams with, floor spacing the best. I know the aces were the best three point shooting team in the, in the W last year. But again, if Uh if some of those players regress and you're talking about a little bit of a worse offense, then give me the team with bonafide superstar shooters at basically every position now, which the Liberty have and still enough defense to make it work. That, that would be my pick would be the Liberty. So I guess I'm disagreeing with FanDuel a little bit there, but I mean, not by much. I think I agree as well, but it's like, I feel like we've seen just the aces stuff is like more of a, of building on last year obviously with like the change out of parker and the liberty are going to have to like kind of grow into what they're going to be and that adds like a little bit of a different element to it that we're like you could almost i wonder if that's why the aces are just like a tad bit more favored a tad bit like ahead of the the liberty the odd situation just because of of that but brennan let's we have to move on now uh let's go to nba all-star reserves quickly any any big snubs you feel out of out of who wasn't named for you no, I, I don't even, I think the conversation to be had here, which you and I agree on is it's time to expand this. Did you, I, I never realized that 
I think I was reading this. This has basically been the NBA all-star structure for the entire history of the league would be 12 players on each side back when it was like Bill Russell and, you know, a bunch of guys who look like they could be your dad running around. And that feels wrong to me. There's so much parody and talent in the NBA right now. I mean, we talked about it when we were breaking down the conferences, we talked about it with what would go into the the Curry injury, the Kyrie, like everything is so jumbled because there's so much star talent. So yeah, the snubs indicate that. And I feel like we saw some questionable decisions go toward, you know, veterans, defensive players, second players on, on solid teams over great players on middling teams and all that. And I think that all kind of speaks to whatever direction you, you see it, you're probably going to think that about it. And my thought is about it is it's just not enough players to represent how much talent there is. We shouldn't be cutting off players just because that's how we've always done it. Uh, especially because look, (laughs) we talk every year about how we don't want people to get injured during the all-star game. Let's get some more guys out there so everybody can play less minutes. I think that would be a, a nice way to incentivize it as well. Yeah, I think 15 is necessary just reflecting the town of the league. I don't think this is like a universal opinion. Like I asked JB Bickerstaff about this before a Cavs game the other day, and he said, like, I'm I'm an old school guy. Like I would prefer 15. Or sorry to keep it at 12 and like not expand to 15. Well, I'm sure well, like that's 12 what, is just such an arbitrary number. I know. It's just like the way it was, and you don't want to change it. Um I, I do feel like there are some guys that like I like there are so many guys that I feel like are not going to be named all-stars this year, but played at an all-star level. And like Anthony Edwards is one. James Harden is one. Darius Garland, I think, is absolutely one. Pascal Siakam is absolutely one. I think Aaron Gordon, to some degree, is is like having like an all-star level season and didn't get in. Anthony Davis, even with the games missed, I think is playing that well. There are so many guys that I think should be in. It is cool that there are a lot of first-time guys. Halliburton, Jaron Jackson Jr., Larry Markin, and like that is very cool. I think there are a lot of guys that are just like at an all-star level and aren't getting in. And that's kind of a bummer. I did though. Did you see how Jimmy Butler reacted to it? He said he gets to go on vacation now. And I kind of like Jimmy, Jimmy that's not the right play in the all-star game that one season. I think it was 2019. He made it yeah. and, and just like took it off, even though he didn't really have a serious injury. I yeah, think I mean, Jimmy smart. likes the break. I mean, look, Jimmy kind of maybe has like the right attitude about this. And it's just like, <laughs> go get your rest. My guy, especially when you're like post 30 and it's been around the block a little bit. But like I, there are so many guys that I think are should be in in Salt Lake that aren't going to be, and I think that in itself is is kind of a bummer. Th- this begs the question though. Okay, Steph Curry doesn't play in the All Star game. Who from the West, if you're going to pick a West guard, should kind of step in and, and replace him? I, I have two candidates. If you're going to pick from the West only, yeah. Well, we also probably have Zion needing to be replaced. Um, yeah, I don't think he's going to play in the game either. And that's, that's two starters, which is also like, I don't know how they replace the starters in terms of which from the reserves get, get bumped yeah. up, but just put him as a starter. Cause he probably just should have been a starter anyway. And even just though, the like, sixth East starter. Yeah. What I mean, honestly, whatever he's, he's I deserving enough. Yeah. Yeah. Put him, put him in the, whatever color Jersey you need him to have, but he's, he's very much more than the guys we're going to talk about. I think more deserving. Uh, I think from a guard, I would put Anthony Edwards. I, and this speaks to the point that I was just making. I'm going to go toward, I, I think just, I'm going to make it a rule for myself in the future <laughs> as we're thinking about this stuff and getting to talk about it, that I'm going to defer to the stud breakout guy on a middling team that has helped to keep them afloat or, you know, been the only reason that they are where they are over. Cause the ones I had the biggest issue with, and it, it wasn't, Steph or, or Zion who might need to be replaced, but 
like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Drew Holiday to me were two that I just I just didn't really see that that Memphis or Milwaukee. You have to be amazing to me to get two All Stars, and I think the Celtics deserve it, right? Like they got two. I actually think the Sixers deserve it to a degree, yeah. although I guess I'm kind of arguing with myself there. But Harden was, I just think had a better has had a better season than Jackson or Holiday. But Anthony Edwards would be my pick, and then I'll probably go. Um, if I have to pick a big, I'm probably going Anthony Davis just because there aren't a ton of obvious big man choices in the West, but that's another, you're getting two all-stars from the Lakers who aren't even 500. Yeah. But like win for the Lakers. Um, I think the other name at guard would be Darren Fox for me. I think he's having an awesome year. I know the Kings maybe like if they meet your criteria, that's a question, but I think he's having like an all-star level season that they would absolutely have to put you in that conversation. Um, he's just playing the best basketball of his career. I, a big part of why that team is third in there. Like Simonis maybe gets a lot of the headlines there, but I think Fox deserves like a really long look in that case. Um, you could make a, and I think Davis is probably the right pick if you have to replace Zion as a big, which, you know, again, the Lakers is that whole thing is funny, but it, it would be the obvious kind of one. Um, I, I think like Booker would be in that conversation for me as well, but it's just been hurt a lot. And I don't know if he'd even be available for the All-Star game at this point. He will be available. He's going to come back this week, but I just think he's only played 29 games. You know, it's kind of hard to, for me to give. I, Davis is the same way, but again, there's just more guards. So I would definitely put Edwards and uh, Fox ahead in that capacity. I just, it's not, it, it's more about the guys that I think should be in than it is again about the guys I think should be out. And that's why I, I would be in favor of expanding it. But I do think if I have to pick players who I don't think should be in, it's Jackson and Holiday to me. I just I get favoring defense, but they just have. If if I'm just picking names out of a hat and and I get Drew Holiday, I, I I'm not going to be super happy. But we have something else to get to, Chris. Yeah. The everyone should want them trade deadline all stars, and this is going to be a little bit quick. I think yeah, we're gonna we're just gonna yeah, make gonna our rapid quick. fire case for five mm-hmm. players that everybody should want on the trade deadline who aren't getting enough love, who aren't being completely bidded for in the way that we think they should be basically. Yes. Um, you go first. Give me your first one. The first one for me is Pascal Siakam. He has uh, a season right now that is basically only matched by like LeBron, Luca and Curry from accounting stats standpoint. I know the Raptors aren't amazing. I don't really dock him for that. If he's the one thing kind of holding them, above water. He, I think there's six points better per 100 possessions with him on the floor. He can do everything. If I'm talking about a number two, like we were with Luca earlier with the Kyrie conversation, Chris, I see Siakam as a no brainer yeah. uh, guy to pair with a superstar. If I'm Dallas, if I'm even the Suns, these, what is my long-term co-star going to be for X number one star? I think Siakam should be a no brainer. Maybe he's not available, but other than that, I'd be knocking on, on Toronto's door ceaselessly until the trade deadline. I think the question for me is just like, is he actually available? Like, and, and I get the vibe would be to me that he's like really not like he hasn't been the name, the kind of least discussed out of there. I'm sure teams have called. I'm sure like that. Like he would be great in Dallas. Think you're absolutely. That's a, that's a great, great call. I get the, I, he is just the, the one I would, you would absolutely bid a lot for. It feels like he is probably just not, actually available in the way some of these other guys might be 
Well, they should be crossing their fingers that he does not get all NBA this season then because they will be on the hook for a potential Supermax contract if he gets all NBA this season, Supermax extension. And I don't think they want to keep him if that's going to be the cost into his mid-30s. But that's up Supermax. to Masai Ujiri, I suppose. Yes. Supermax has really haven't worked out for people, have they? Because they qualify so late. I think it'll work out for Booker, actually. Booker's the one, he just got one, and he's still only in his mid-20s so it's only going to pay him I think through his age 30 or 31 season you got to get it early in your career otherwise yeah you're you're paying for past production too much yeah which is which is like good good for the players like get get as much money as you possibly can but like if you're a team and you're building this out that's that's really tricky okay my number well, the players one is end up getting traded yeah. the players end up getting traded so or it doesn't you can really be the wizard and give Bradley Beal the supermax <laughs> and give him a no trade clause yeah. Yeah, but Dame is yeah. like the rock of Portland and like they've had like the vibes or yeah. it's like very we should maybe do an episode about this at some point, but like my opinion on like the Blazers and like some of them being in the middle is very different than I look at the Wizards being kind of in the middle. And like I don't really know if that's fair, but that I have very different emotions and one's positive and one is very negative. It's fair. It is a good conversation topic because it's like the polar opposites of what standing pat can be. Blazers have tons of fans and everybody loves that team. They're just kind of in the middle for mismanagement reasons, whereas the Wizards seem to want to be in the middle. But your number one, Josh Hart, is that what you said? Yeah, Josh Hart. So look, competent wings are very, very needed. He has speaking a weird, of Portland. Yeah, speaking of Portland, weird contract. So like he is kind of non-guaranteed. If he picks up this option, like he's gonna he's gonna decline that, and then like that's gonna you know lead him to see you have to be kind of reassure you can resign him, I think, in most cases, if you're gonna make that deal. But he's just like a competent wing who maybe doesn't shoot enough threes as you would like, but is like a competent wing who can shoot it and is going to give you stout defense and be a guy who can play in the playoffs. I just think like Josh Hart should be like got by someone who need who needs a wing help, who needs wing help. Excuse me. I think the thing with with uh, Portland there will be can they use him to upgrade themselves, but still yeah. come away feeling like the team getting him is also happy. Like you have to find the perfect win win trade with him because he's if you just get rid of him as the Blazers, you just get worse because he is a pretty integral part, but they're only 500. So it's not like they're going to be content with their team. You got to just find that sweet spot of both people come away happy. Brandon, who's your number two? Uh, my number two is Nas Reed. Um, the secret's out. If you listen to Anthony Edwards on Austin Rivers podcast from last week, they basically said like, even they're nervous, like he's on the scouting report now. Uh, he's the most unorthodox dude. Like, I don't know why I'm so giddy talking about Nas Reed. I'm like the happiest I've been all podcast, but he's just a funny, unorthodox player. He has a really high center of gravity. He's one of those guys where you feel like everything is in the hips. Like he just runs and jumps and does things in a way different way, which just feels like there's not a lot of players like that this day and age. Cause everybody's been trained to infinity by the time they get to the NBA. The number one reason he's on my list though, is he's apparently only looking for $10 million in this off season, which I'm like, Hey, Nas Reed's agent, if you're going to leak stuff, why don't you shoot a little higher? Why are you telling people you only want like the mid-level exception? Like throw 20 out there like Jakob Pertl's agent is and make it a compromise when you get 15. It, that, that was kind of funny. But if I'm getting him for 10 million, I'll give up whatever it takes. That's a great backup big man. Great third big for any team, I think. Yeah, I uh, would you rather pay him like 10 or would you rather pay Jakob Pertl 15? Because Jakob's not, not getting 20. He wants 20. I don't think he's getting 20. It depends on what my team is. I think 
Pirtle is a much, much, much better defender, but he can't shoot free throws and he's definitely not a floor spacer. Whereas Reed can take and make some threes and he's a little more mobile, a little better offensively. They're kind of polar opposite players. I think if I had like a, um, like the Nets, I probably prefer Reed. You know, if I'm the Pelicans, maybe I prefer Pirtle, right? It's kind of dependent. But if if the number is that different, then I probably would go Reed every time because I don't think the gap in overall talent's that far apart. And, and it looks like uh, Reed's going to be on the bargain. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like Reed as like maybe like your like Isaiah Hart and Sheen like style backup, and Pirtle I think could start for you if you want to feel like the Zubatra. That's where I kind of differentiate them. I think is where I'd feel comfortable. But it's a good chat. I wonder what do you, do you have like a good fit fit idea for him? I think the Pelicans um, mm. actually. I know I said Pirtle maybe makes more sense, but I don't think they I don't think they make a trade like that right now because they still have Valanciunas. Whereas I think. If you can go out and get Reed as another option in that big man mix, I just want the Pelicans to be more and more versatile. I know they have Larry Nance, but I kind of like that one. I think if I'm, uh, like I just said, the Nets as another depth piece there behind Nick Claxton to give them another big man, I could see that. Uh, maybe the Clippers to replace Hartenstein, who you just mentioned. Um, a contending team that just needs a little bit of a better small ball look is basically the types of teams I would be looking at. Yes. Okay, let's go to my number two. This is John Collins, the Atlanta Hawks. Much often in trade rumors, big man, really good player, I think is being underutilized in what he's doing in Atlanta. The contract is a lot. He's got like a bunch of money left on this deal that maybe makes him unappealing to teams. But I just want to see him get moved. And I think Brennan Phoenix is the place I kind of most want to see him end up. I really like that kind of landing spot for him. If they could find a way to kind of make that work um, and, and allow yeah. him to play some small ball five and do some more stuff. I really, really like John Collins. He's going to go somewhere else and I think be really good outside of the Trey Young kind of the orbit. So I, I would just like John Collins to get actually moved and get to kind of go through a little bit of a renaissance for himself. Couldn't agree more. I think if you look, he's not shooting the ball well this year and Atlanta just hasn't been very good, but he is in some seasons been one of the better pick and roll finishers in the NBA, just as far as guys who finish as the person who set a screen in an NBA play, you add all those up. He has been among the best at that. And that's exactly what you would be bringing him in to do. So if you just pair up, here's the role he's going to play and he's a lead at it. I don't understand why teams aren't jumping over themselves to go get him. He's not People talk about the contract. Like it's some sort of, it's very long. But $25 million for a start, good starter is about normal in the NBA these days. And he can be a backup five for you too. So I, I agree. I, that's why I liked him for the Suns is he could play next to Aiton. He could play behind Aiton. If you, if you just pair him with a good point guard, which he has right now, and an actual structure, I think, defensively that, that works, I think you're going to be really, really happy. I, I, I literally could could see him in most teams in the NBA who don't already have that type of big man in place. Really good player. Um, very big fan. Who's your number three? My number three is Jared Vanderbilt. I don't think yeah. this one is going to be much of a secret or surprise to anybody. He's kind of probably accurately rated if you read how often his name is popping up. I think Mark Stein has listed him as one of the most likely players to be traded. So this is a little bit less in the spirit of what this list was supposed to be, but I guess I'm just agreeing with all these NBA executives who want him. Uh, I just think if you are, I mean, he was the starting center during Utah's crazy start to the season. Now they're a little more traditional with Walker Kessler as their starting five, but he was anchoring a defense 
maybe not an amazing defense, but a very solid defense for multiple months at the beginning of the season. And now he's coming off the bench and still being good. If you have, if you're a team and you need to, to defend Giannis or Bam or Draymond or Anthony Davis or any of those types of players, those small ball five types, Vanderbilt should be number one on your wish list, I think. He is like the guy that if you're in need of that guy, I think to defend Giannis, Bam, Draymond, like, or honestly, like, wonder if someone would try to like use him as like, we talked about this uh, version of the Nuggets, like try him as like, hey, like throw him on Jokic as like the small to let your center play and help kind of thing. I don't know if that totally works with him, but you could try it. And like, I think it's good to have that place in your toolkit. It's absolutely one. He's he's of the guys that are kind of maybe in Utah. Um, To me, maybe the most interesting one to maybe be moved. I like, uh, there's someone on my list from Utah as well. It's actually two players from Utah on my, on my five. So like, do them. this is a go for it. So it's Malik Beasley and Kelly Olenek. And I like all three of these Utah guys as guys that could help teams. I think like Beasley as a movement shooter, teams really need these. He did tell Mike Stern, Mark Stein, he wants to stay in Utah. We'll see if that happens. Kelly Olenek, we've talked about him. Small ball five, can play some, can stretch it out has been in the playoffs before, which it, which is a plus. I think could be a really good fit for a team that needs an offensive punch up front, kind of like the opposite of what Vanderbilt's going to provide you. Like Vanderbilt's going to like stand in the corner and like maybe take some threes. Olenek's going to actually put up some shots. Um, I, so like I think you have these kind of various pieces in Utah who I think like Utah should sell on, pivot to like this era that they have, which is like Sexton and Walker Kessler and Lowry Markinen and Ochai Abaji and like really go in on this movement and start that that process. Get more picks for these guys to upgrade your roster down the line. Jordan Clarkson can be there for vibes, and that's fine. I love, shout out to Jordan Clarkson. Get that bag, my guy. Um, but Vanderbilt Clarkson is go- kind of on the Clander, uh, Clarkson is kind of on the Siakam list, where it's like if he's available, I probably would have had him in my five here. I don't think they're trading him. So these guys yes. are much more available to your point. Yes. Do you have a do you have a favorite landing place for any of these guys? Because I, I like the Golden State one that you shouted out for Linux on one of our first episodes. And yeah. then Beasley, Beasley, I think Cleveland or New Orleans would make a lot of sense. Like you said, with Beasley, it's like who wouldn't want him? You know what I mean? I I like the one and, and this has been, you know. Everybody has been paired with Malik Beasley at this point, so we're not going to be breaking ground of who we think he could fit with. But I like the Memphis one that's been out there, too. I just think they they need a shooter more than they seem to think they need a shooter, I guess. So I don't know if yeah. he'll end up on the Grizzlies, but I, I and Cleveland would be another one. Any of the teams that are kind of a shooter away from feeling really good about their roster, Cleveland might have a few more needs than that, but I would like him. I think Olenek would still be Golden State for me. Vanderbilt... I kind of like him in Brooklyn. I think yeah. he'd be a, a fun backup for Claxton, and he he's the same type of player, maybe not quite as elite at any of the things Claxton is elite at, but he's a backup, and he would fill the same type of role. I really like that one. People have been saying Philly, and it's like, okay, Philly can't have every good fit player that <laughs> they, they can't want. have. Like, that's like having like two P.J. Tuckers, and like one P.J. Tucker is yeah. enough. If Vanderbilt's playing like eight minutes in the playoffs, that will actually upset me. I don't want that. I want him to to go somewhere where he can provide a really fundamental and needed value role, like not not backing up the MVP potentially. That's that's not fun. Yes. All right. Who is your number four? My number four is Emmanuel. Quickly, this is a player the Knicks seem to have lucked into drafting and and done a really good job finding value at the end of the first round, and then immediately it's like they don't want him. He's out there in all these rumors. Maybe that's other teams wanting him and trying to drum up some some potential 
uh, problems between him and the Knicks or who knows. I don't really know why the Knicks would want to get rid of him. I know they have a lot of players like this and he's the one coming up on a new contract the soonest. So that probably is a part of why, but he's shooting 37% from deep since December 1st. He has the best net rating on the Knicks. I don't know how much more I need to say. He's like a six, four combo guard who can shoot and defend another player. As we've been saying that every team uh, could really use the Suns. I mean, any team that has some guard questions that wants to win a championship, I would be looking at quickly. Cause then you can also turn around and potentially sign and trade him in the off season if you want to. Yeah. I like the scoring burst. Like, you know, we're kind of like a lot of guards in New York, like kind of like maybe a chance for him to reboot. I kind of wonder if he might be better to go to like a team that is maybe like a little step back of the real contenders phase, but like a team on the up and up that could use a little scoring punch, I think would be really interesting for him. Um, mm-hmm. He the Knicks the, the Knicks the Knicks are like good, but also just like remain very very weird to me. Like just so many guards. They just have a lot just, of players. Yeah, they just have a lot of players and and no bona fide superstar. It's almost like they should have traded for Donovan Mitchell or something. Somebody like that. Not 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 being specific or anything. Just throwing a name out there. Yeah, almost like the guy who like I said a lot that he thought he was going to be a Nick. And whose agency is very tied into the Knicks brass. Like they should have just traded for that guy who's having the best season of his career. Maybe it would have made some sense. Might have gone or, well for them. Uh, might have gone well for them. Uh, Brennan, I already gave my number three and four. That was Beasley and Olenek. So give me your give me your number five. My number five is Luke Kennard. Just getting DNP CDs from Ty Lue, always, just for years at this point, will just, you know, maybe we'll score 20. And then the next night you're like, did Ty Lue not, not think... He was the right fit out there tonight. Okay. And then like, that's, that's a Clippers thing. And I get that. It's not even really me criticizing Lou. Although I do think there's been times where I watch that team and I do think like, Hey, Luke Kennard might've made a little bit of a difference when the ball gets stagnant or they don't seem to have quite enough shooting out there. or Their offense just can't do enough when one of the stars is resting. I just think Luke Kennard is 26 on his second team. He spent multiple seasons with multiple teams now. And I still don't feel like we know what he is. I still feel like there's untapped potential there as just a secondary ball handler who can knock, just shoot the lights out. And he's six, five. So yeah, he's going to get abused defensively, but it's not like he's five eleven, you know, and trying to survive on defense. So you're not going to get destroyed when he's out there. And again, the Clippers are a team who I think could use Luke Kennard, but if they don't want him, uh, sign me up a number of teams, I think would, would be better with Luke Kennard. Yeah, look, you know, he's already 26, but I think there's just like a good, competent player in there, can shoot it, can ball handle. Like, those are skills teams need. Like, and particularly teams that like maybe play a little more like elegantarian, like not ISO dominant basketball. Like, he's a guy that can provide you, just fits in your kind of flow of the thing. He feels like a guy, Brennan, that if like Kenny Atkinson was coaching a team, I would like to see Luke Kennard on a Kenny Atkinson coach team. That's a deep pull, but I like it. I don't so know the Warriors what team... in like five years is what you're saying. Basically. <laughs> yeah. The Warriors yeah, like, in like 2030. Yeah. Or like maybe like, you know, I could see like Charlotte being a team as like a rehabilitation place for him. If like Terry Rogier gets dealt by them at the deadline or something. And like, they want to get another ball handler and they're off of LaMelo. You know, what's funny. Just... I agree what? with you on that. I feel like he could be good with the Pistons with their yeah. new look. Yeah. With Cade and Ivy, like just another ball handler out there. You could play all three. You could play him with one of those two guys just to give yeah. some shooting. Like he just, he's going to slide in because he's a killer shooter and he, he knows what he's doing with the ball in his hands. It's, Indi- it's weird. Indiana. He only costs like, f- Indiana? He only costs like $14.5 million next year. So 
if he's going to get jarred loose from the Clippers roster in one of their potential moves this this deadline, I would be on the phone saying, can I be the third team? Can we talk about something in the offseason? Like, get that guy in, in his prime and, and let him actually play finally in his career. And last one of my number five, Alex Caruso. Look, they apparently want, like, multiple firsts for him, which, like, Arthur's, like, what are we doing here? My guy, that's a lot for Alex Caruso. But, look, great defensive guard on a great contract. Lots of teams could use what he does. Maybe doesn't shoot as much as you would like, but like this is a guy that I think could be like a rock solid top eight playoff guy for you. I don't see really like the downside of of getting him and, and helping some teams. The Warriors would be a, would be a good fit for him. I you know we did I did that fit Kings trade, which is like a first in, um, and Davion Mitchell for him, which I I like for both sides. I think there's just a lot of teams that could use Caruso in a league with so many scoring guards. You know, I, I think it makes sense. Like, I, I mean, like, could maybe Denver. Like, I could see that being kind of like a fun, like, maybe not the perfect backup point guard if you're trying to get some more Monty Morris energy. But if you're moving on from Bones and you want to go the opposite direction, Caruso can make some sense there. Like, this is just a good player. Lakers probably could use him. Maybe they shouldn't have just, maybe they should have signed him instead of THT in, in the first place. But really good player. I think we player. just have to throw that in every episode. We have to establish a quota for ourselves to just put the dig on on the Lakers and that decision yeah that in the next yeah just like could it kept keep the better player like not hard not a hard shouldn't have been a hard decision but say lovey no um caruso's point just, caruso yeah, only costs he costs less than 10 million dollars a year for the next yeah. two seasons after this so yeah i actually think the thing about the asking price being so high and people maybe balking at that a little bit chris is kind of reasonable if i'm chicago i mean this might be the a top three defensive guard in the nba and he's on a bargain contract, and he's only 28 years old, I kind of think Chicago is negotiating from a position of strength here. You know, maybe it's not two unprotected first-round picks, something crazy like that, but I think two picks of some kind is a pretty reasonable place to start. Maybe it eventually becomes a young player like Bones Highland instead of one of those picks, or who knows. But if I'm the Bulls, I'm saying, you're giving me everything I want, because I know what I have in Caruso, and, and I'm not giving him away for nothing. Yeah, it's just like two firsts is just like a lot of picks for a guy who like doesn't always want to shoot. And like I saw what he, I see, you watch the defensive highlights and what he can do. It's like this guy's an absolute defensive monster. But like he's taking Brennan 2.23s per game this year. He shoots the ball four times a game. Well, let that, me ask you this. Just, yeah. Would you rather give up two first round picks for him or Boyan Bogdanovich? That might be situation dependent. Sure. But I might, a lot maybe of the same him, teams maybe, are going to be looking at maybe, both guys. Yeah, maybe him just because... Maybe him in a vacuum just because the, the defense is just like elite, elite, elite. And like, he is going to shoot threes. But Bojan does provide like that, that like he can just go off in a way that you really, really need. That's that's tough. I I wouldn't want to give up two firsts for either. I think is my actual answer. Like, <laughs> yeah, it seems like you're more on the value of the pick side, and and neither player might be your answer. It just it just like two picks is just like a lot of picks for like a, a for like a very good role, like a first and like some kind of young player is kind of what I'd be trying to give up for something. But if the market dictates what it dictates, then like, hey, like who am I, who am I to say differently? Should we end there, Brendan? I think I, I think I think we've 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 had this has been an eventful episode. There's a lot that is 
happened in the in the NBA and the WNBA the last several weeks. But just since we hit record, there's been a lot that's happened. Oh my goodness, yeah. Um lot lot happening in the world of basketball right now. But thanks again, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the Just Basketball Show. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing this one. Thanks again to the whole team at Den of Geek for, for making this possible with us and, and doing a great job on the video stuff. Please go subscribe to us on YouTube. Subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Give us that five-star review. Follow Just B-Ball fans on TikTok, Just Basketball Show on Instagram. Find us on Twitter at Just B-Ball Show and on Facebook as well. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan Clean. Back at it soon with another episode.